invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've been preaching through 2 Timothy so far this summer. We're going to finish chapter 4 today, and next week we're going to jump to 1 Timothy, which sounds kind of out of order, but finally dawned on me talking to Russell this morning. It's kind of like Star Wars, where you start with like episode 4 and then go back to 1, 2, 3. So that's, this is a prequel. So thank you for that. I'll explain next week why I did what I did, unless you're really interested. This week, this week a reality star passed away. And it was interesting that when I first read about her death, they said her last words, the last thing she said before she died. And then I read another article with a different last word she said before she died. So one of them apparently was the next to the last. But it got me thinking, what are, what are some things that famous people have said? And I just, I've got a few I'm going to share with you. Some of these are old, died years ago, so uh, if you're under about 50, you're not going to know some of these names. Joan Crawford, actress, speaking to her maid who began to pray for her, her last words were, don't you dare ask God to help me. Douglas Fairbanks Sr. said, I've never felt better. Bob Hope Answering his wife's question, where would you like to be buried, he said, surprise me. <laughs> Groucho Marx, comedian, said, die, my dear? Well, that's the last thing I'll do. Whitney Houston said, I'm going to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Barry White said, leave me alone. I'm fine. Amy Winehouse said to her doctor, I don't want to die. Elvis Presley said, I'm going to the bathroom to read. Paul Walker said, after borrowing a Porsche, he said, we'll be back in five minutes. John Wayne, one of my favorite actors, I love westerns, on his deathbed said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl, and I love you. Then I thought about, thought about my own mom. She passed away just a few years ago at the age of 96. The last thing my 96-year-old mother said to me, two things. She said, Jesus loves you and I love you, and I need ink in my printer. <laughs> so really the last thing my 96-year-old mother's worried about is I need some ink in my printer. Thinking she's not worried about a printer anymore. But that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the last words of the Apostle Paul, the last letter that Paul writes is 2 Timothy. And you think, well, wait a minute, there's a couple books after this. He probably wrote Philemon and, and uh, gosh, Titus in between First and Second Timothy. So as we put the Bible together, they put First and Second Timothy together, but Titus and Philemon were written in between First and Second Timothy. So it's the last thing he's going to say. It's the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. And you'll even see from the passage, he knew he was about to die. So do you think what he says is important? I promise you, if you know you're about to die, some people said if you had one day left to live, what would you do? Somebody said, well, I'd go max out my credit card. <laughs> but if you're going to have a conversation with people you love, or somebody in particular that you love, you're going to say the most important thing because you're wanting to leave them with instructions that would benefit them when you're not there anymore. And so Paul, writing to Timothy, who he considered a son in the faith, writes this. I'm going to read just the first part of the passage to start with, verse 6 of chapter 4. 
Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So the title of the message today is Faithful. And Paul is a demonstration right here at the beginning of a, of a man of God who has been faithful. We're going to look in a minute at some examples of faithfulness and faithlessness and then end with the best, and that is the faithfulness of God. But after urging Timothy, if you look at chapter 4, verse 4, or verse 5, the last thing Paul says before this passage is, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. So as Paul has told Timothy, fulfill your ministry, Paul is reflecting on his own ministry. And he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul was very well aware of the Jewish tradition, the Jewish law about sacrifice. He knew that typically when you brought a sacrifice, the first thing you'd sacrifice would be an animal. Then there were also grain offerings, and there were also drink offerings that you would pour out on the altar as part of your worship and sacrifice to God. And so Paul realized, I'm already, in that sense, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul knew that as a Roman citizen, they were about to kill him. He knew they could not crucify him because he was a Roman citizen. And so they were probably going to behead him. And I think literally Paul knew, coming a day not too distant future, I'm going to literally pour out my blood after being beheaded in front of this crowd at Rome. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. The word departure in that language meant could have meant a couple things. It could have meant loosening the ropes that were holding a ship in place, the moorings. Or it could have been a soldier with a tent striking the tent where he loosens the ropes to the tent pegs. So Paul is essentially saying, I'm about to set sail. I'm packing up this earthly tent. The time of my departure has come. And then he gives three word pictures. So as Paul reflects on the fact, I'm about to die. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. He's able to say, first, three word pictures. The first one is, I have fought the good fight. In 1 Timothy, Paul had encouraged Timothy, fight the good fight. Paul, in 2 Timothy, says, you know what? As I come to face God someday, I can say with boldness, I can say with assurance. Paul would have said, it's not about me, but I fought the good fight. Part of his fight was physical, but part of it was mental and spiritual. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, I don't have this on the screen. Just listen to these words. Here's the physical part. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So when Paul says, I fought the good fight, Paul had fought. Paul had endured. And so he's fought the good fight, the struggle. Paul's done that. 
Paul said also, I finished the course. He's drawing his attention to the athletic arena. He, he doesn't claim to have won, which I think he did win. But he didn't say, hey, I won the race. He says, I finished the course. There's times in the pages of the New Testament that Paul encouraged to run the race with endurance because there's a prize set before us. So he has finished the course. And the third word picture is I've kept the faith. He's kept it by guarding the faith. That's what Paul writes Timothy so passionately about is this. Timothy, keep the faith. Yes, there are false teachers among you that are not keeping the faith of Almighty God. They're, they're preaching a false doctrine and a false gospel. And yet Paul's saying, I have kept a grip on the faith. I've kept it. So Paul's saying, I can face my God having fought the good fight, having finished the course or finished the race, and having kept the faith. My question for us this morning is, can we do the same thing? We may not sense we're already being poured out, but I can tell you this. One day we face God. And I hope that we could say to God, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And Paul knew about the prize. He said, in the future, there's laid up for me. And I love this. Paul saw this as something that was already settled in the heavens. There's a crown waiting. It's already laid up. It's already in the vault. It's being guarded for him right now. It's already laid up for me. The crown of righteousness. The Greek word for crown is stephanos. It's where we get the name Stephen. Anybody named Stephen? Do you have any Stephens in the midst? I don't see a single. Is there not a Stephen here? Anybody want to change your name today? Maybe there's a Stephen. I'm just not seeing your hand. But that's what the word crown means. And it was used in athletic contests when an Olympian crossed the finish line as the victor. He would receive or she would receive a crown, a wreath, a garland, literally something that encircled. And I thought about that. That's all they got. There wasn't a, a cash award. Olympians today earn cash. Did you know that? When I was growing up, it was totally amateur. When our Olympians won a gold medal, they got a gold medal, which was valuable, I suppose. But now a gold medalist in the Olympics for the United States gets $25,000. That was at least the last Olympics. The next Olympics is going to have surfing. Did you all know that? And the one after that is going to have breakdancing. Have you heard that? In Paris, in like 2024, they're going to have breakdancing. So I'm, I'm getting out my cardboard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some sponsors for my cardboard because I'm breakdancing. You'd like to say, Russell would like to say that. Yeah, you can answer that. But Paul said, here's why I've done it. One day I'm going to receive from my Savior that I've served faithfully the crown, the crown of righteousness. What do we do with our crowns in heaven? There's other crowns mentioned throughout Scripture. There's about five of them. I think, honestly, it's just going to be part of worship because we're going to take those crowns and lay them back at the feet of Jesus and say it's all for you. That's why I did what I did. But Paul says, I look forward to the day when my Savior will place a crown on me because I finished the race. I did well. I will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he said, it's the Lord, the righteous judge, 
See, Paul has been in front of judges. Paul's been in court in Rome and other places as an arrested criminal in their mind. Paul had been in and out of prison. He was in prison when he wrote 1 Timothy. He got out of prison. He's now back in a worse prison in Rome, probably scholars think a dungeon. Paul says, that judge can condemn me to death, but there is a righteous judge who once they kill me, I'm going to face the righteous judge, and he's got a crown. And here's the good news. He's not just going to award it to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All, everyone, the whole, all who have loved his appearing. Does that include you? How do you know you loved his appearing? Well, first of all, you look forward to it. There are some people that are not going to look forward to his appearing. In fact, Paul's going to mention some by name here in the next part of the chapter. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not looking forward to the return of Christ. And I assure you, the day he returns is going to be a huge oops day. You've prepared for it. How do you prepare for it? You've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you've looked forward to it. You've prepared for it. You've told others about it. So those that love His appearing, if you are longing for the day when someday you're going to face Jesus, whether it's by your death or by His return, because both are going to happen, and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want you to deal with the question, will you hear that? Will you be like Paul that says, you know what? No, I wasn't perfect. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. So Paul didn't say, I deserve the crown because I'm perfect. Paul says, the crown has been laid up for me because I'm a child of God. And I fought the good fight. I've stayed the course and finished the race. And I've kept the faith. And then the next point is there's some examples of others and. Paul doesn't mind getting personal. He names names. Look at verses 9 through 15. First, he addresses Timothy individually. Make every effort to come to me soon. <laughs> Paul's telling you, I'm about to die. If you're going to see me, come soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. And bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. So the first person he addresses is actually Timothy. And he said to Timothy, Timothy, you've been a faithful friend, a faithful child in the faith, please make every effort to come see me. In fact, later in the passage, he says, come before winter, because Paul knows once winter hits, it's going to be hard to travel, and Paul likely is thinking, I won't be around in the winter, so please come, because I'm alone. Paul says, the only person here with me is Luke. Some I've sent out, Demas, for example, who was a close associate of Paul. You go back to Colossians, and Demas was one that Paul talked favorably about. But by this point, Demas has deserted him. Why? Because he loved this present world. See, the going was getting tough. And to be identified with Paul 
meant you yourself may be arrested. You yourself may be beaten. You yourself may lose the things that you prize the most. And so Demas had left Paul. In fact, the word that he uses for love is the same word we should use for love of God. That is, Demas placed that thing that was most valuable in his life. It's the stuff of this world. In fact, 1 John John writing in 1 John 2.15 said, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So a good question at this moment is, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it God or is it the stuff of this world that, by the way, is perishing, is fading away, that will not last? The Bible tells us everything you see will one day melt with intense heat. So if you're clinging to the wrong thing, if it's not God, you will lose it. You're not taking it with you. Demas deserted me. Literally, he utterly abandoned me. He has left me in a helpless situation. Only Luke is with me. Paul wasn't sad by that. He wasn't saying only Luke. <laughs> Luke was a physician, so Luke was able to help minister to his physical needs. Luke was there through thick and thin. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And so we know about all of Paul's journeys because of this author, Luke, who is also a physician. Only Luke's with me. So he's already talked about somebody who's faithful, Timothy. He's talked about somebody who's unfaithful, who went from being faithful to being unfaithful. That's Demas. Then he mentions Mark. And if you, if you kind of slide by Mark, you, you miss something. It's been about 30 years since the Damascus Road experience. It's been about 20 years since Mark abandoned Paul on a ministry journey. In fact, the next missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were talking, and Barnabas said, well, let's take Mark. And Paul said, no, no, no. And Barnabas and Paul split company because Barnabas wanted to take Mark, and Paul said, no, he's deserted us. So here's the good news. Mark has been restored. And Paul, on his deathbed, so to speak, is saying, bring Mark. He would be helpful to me. Wouldn't that be great news for Mark to say, you know what? I abandoned Paul and Barnabas once. His relationship's been restored with Barnabas. And apparently now his relationship's been restored with Paul. So if you ever feel kind of like a Mark, he, by the way, wrote the Gospel of Mark. Young man, unfaithful at one moment, but he has returned and proven his worth. Pick up Mark. He'll be useful to me in service. And then Tychicus, or Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Well, where is Timothy? Timothy's in Ephesus. So I've sent this guy to you probably on more than one occasion. He's probably the one taking the letter to Timothy. And he's probably the one Paul intends to stay at Ephesus while Timothy leaves to come visit him in Rome. So Paul says, I've sent to you Tychicus. How would you like to be somebody that delivered one of the books of the Bible? And maybe more than one of the books of the Bible. That's who that guy is. Not a lot said about him. And then Paul gets real practical. Bring the cloak. I left it. Bring it. It would have been a heavy wool garment that would be used as a cloak or a covering, but it also could be used as a blanket. And of course, I thought this way. So, Paul, why did you leave your books and your parchment and your cloak somewhere? Well, it may have been he was arrested, and they didn't let him go back and get his stuff. And so Paul's saying, bring, bring my cloak. I'm cold. Winter's coming. If I'm still alive, I'd like my cloak. 
bring my books. These are probably scrolls of the Old Testament, probably on papyrus. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, I'm about to die, but I'm not going to quit studying the Word of God. I miss the scrolls. Bring those. And then the parchments. These would have been animal skins, very expensive. And some scholars think it could have been his Roman citizenship papers. It could have been, some think, maybe even copies of letters that he had written. Or it could have been just blank parchments that he could write more on. Paul didn't know how much longer he had, but he knew it was soon. So just real practical. Timothy, if you don't mind, get here in a hurry. But on your way, you're going to pass through. Pick up my cloak, my books, the parchments. But Timothy, beware of Alex, the coppersmith. You think, how did Alexander the coppersmith get in here? Alexander the coppersmith is probably somebody in Rome that opposed Paul for this reason. To be a silversmith or a coppersmith probably meant you made idols for a living. So when Paul comes in and says there's one God, you should worship him only. He's a jealous God. It kind of cuts into your business. So Alex, Alexander the coppersmith hated Paul and probably preached against and spoke against and heralded against Paul because he didn't want his business interrupted. This is how he made his living. And so he warns Timothy, Timothy, be on the lookout for him. He's not in Ephesus. He's in Rome. So Timothy, come quickly. But when you get to Rome, watch out for this guy named Alexander. He's going to try to hurt you. He's done much damage to the cause of the gospel. He's opposed at every turn. But the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That was the confidence that, that Paul had. Even in his situation, he didn't have to get revenge on Alexander. He knew God would take care of him. Be on guard against him. And then Paul said, at my first defense, no one supported me. We don't even think Luke was there at his first defense. He says, no one supported me. I was alone. In the Roman judicial system, you had two trials or two times that you appeared before the court. The first was just to establish the charge. And Paul said, there was nobody there to testify on my account as to the invalidity of these charges. And then the second time you appeared was to determine guilt or innocence. All deserted me. But then Paul says, may God not hold it against them. Does that sound familiar? Paul said, everybody deserted me. I'm in front of the judge. There's nobody here. Sounds a lot like Jesus. What does Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Also sounds like Stephen as they're about to throw rocks at him and kill him. He said, Father, don't hold this against them. Paul says the same thing. Don't count it against them. They deserted Paul. Maybe they didn't desert God. They just deserted Paul. The going got tough, so they got going. And then last, Paul ends really focusing on the faithfulness of God. Let's look at the last two verses. Verses 16 and 17. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The faithfulness of God. The Lord stood with me. Here's what Paul knew. Even though I'm in front of the judge for my first offense, there's nobody here to support me. I'm not alone because God is with me. And there's a purpose for why God is with me. 
I get my hair cut from a guy named Eric about every month. Last month I was getting my hair cut, and every time I go, I'm asking Eric about his house. Eric lives near the river. His house has gotten flooded twice in the last few years, most recently by Hurricane Florence last fall. And so every time I ask him, he's, he's had to rip out all the sheetrock. He's had to take everything off you know, at the four-foot level and replace this, that, and the other thing. And Every time I ask him, he's telling me, well, we're finally back in the house, but we've only got one bathroom working, all this. I, this last time I visited him, I said, Eric, how's the house? Are you back in? He said, you know, I'm just so glad I can lean on that promise. God will never put on me more than I can handle. I said, well, you know, Eric, that's not actually in the Bible. You shouldn't say that right at the beginning of your haircut because I so befuddled him. He said, what do you mean? I said, I said, actually, Eric, that's not good biblical teaching. God will never put on me more than I can handle, really? So in other words, I don't need God? Regularly things can come into my life that God allows in my life that I cannot handle. So what I do, I have to turn to a holy God, a powerful God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could ask or think. It's amazing how many verses are quoted. You know what it says in the Bible? No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. In fact, it contradicts what it does say in the Bible. So Eric said, finally, I mean, this was later on in the haircut. He comes back to that comment. He said, so what do I say now? So how about Hebrews 13.5? God's promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's really better than he won't put on you more than you can handle. What's even better is, is when you get under something you can't handle, you have a God to turn to who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. But that's where Paul was. I'm all alone, but God is with me. I've never sensed he wasn't with me. So that through me, the proclamation could be fully accomplished. Paul recognized God's with me, yes, to support me, yes, but there's a bigger thing here. It's not all about me. Paul's saying it's so that the gospel would be proclaimed. And I promise you, even in Rome, even in his trial and defense, and even in the dungeon, Paul is still telling people the good news of Jesus. So Paul says, I have been kept alive to this point so the gospel could go to the Gentiles. And that's not even where Paul started. Before Paul became known as Paul, he was Saul, and he went out persecuting Christians. About 30 years before this letter is written, he's come to faith in Christ, and he first of all went to his brothers, his countrymen, the Jews. And God finally directed him to the Gentiles. So Paul had been now taking the gospel really to a group of people he didn't much care for before he came to faith in Christ. But I've been rescued. God has been with me so that the gospel may be fully accomplished and proclaimed so the Gentiles may hear. He has rescued me out of the lion's mouth. Some people think he's referring to Nero, who one of his nicknames for Nero was the lion. In any case, He's talking about evil that was coming against him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Paul knew he had been rescued out of that. In fact, history tells us that under Nero, Christians were thrown to the lions. And Paul said, I've been rescued from that so far, so that the gospel may be proclaimed to the nations. 
The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Paul will die eventually. But Paul knew God would rescue him from every intention of evil and take me to his heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul had to look forward to. Paul said, God's going to rescue me, and ultimately they may chop off my head, but in the next moment I'm going to be in the presence of Almighty God in his heavenly kingdom. And he closes this section by simply saying, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the light shine on the brightness is not on me, Paul would say. It's on him. So what's our application for us? We live in a generation that's getting tougher to be a believer. We're not facing some of the persecution Paul has faced, but we may. Claiming the name of Christ may cost you a friend. It may cost you a job. It may cost you ridicule. And you've got a choice. You can do what Demas did and just kind of abandon it run away, or you can come back and cling to a holy God who's powerful and able and promised to rescue you. Put your faith there so that one day you will face him and he, along with others, he is going to place, along with others, a crown on their head and your head. And hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. To him be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we even think about what Paul faced, it's overwhelming. And yet, you're all-powerful. And God, I thank you that we know you never leave us or forsake us. And so God, thank you for friends that you've placed around us. Thank you for our churches and ministries that... And God, what a great gift to have people that stand beside us. But even if we get to the point where we feel like I'm the only one, I'm the only one in this lunchroom at school, or I'm the only one in the break room at work, or I'm the only one in my family, or I'm the only one in this neighborhood that's living for Jesus, we haven't been abandoned. You're with us. And there's coming a day when we finally finish the race and we receive the prize. Thank you for that truth, for that comfort. May we live our lives that way tomorrow and the next day and next week and for the rest of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we...